This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen. We're a triple R film criticism show and also a podcast. A big shout out to Elizabeth McCarthy filling in this week for Phoebe for an absolutely killer three hours of maps. If you missed Elizabeth's interview with rap royalty Chuck D, uh, be sure to check it out on Triple R On Demand. I'm your host for tonight's show, Flick Ford, and joining me in the virtual studio is Paul Anthony Nelson. Hello, Paul. Hello, Flick. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Good. Very happy about three days of zero cases. Yes. Yes, me too. And returning to the show, Sally Christie. Welcome back, Sal. Hi, Flick. It's um nice to be back. Nice to be back in the virtual studio with a working microphone. It's very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) You're sounding good, Sal. Um, So on tonight's show, we're spotlighting the role of choreography in film and celebrating the work of film director and choreographer, the award-winning artistic director of Bangara Dance Theatre, Stephen Page. Later tonight, we'll dance over to the West Coast for a musical road trip from Perth to Broome in Rachel Perkins' 2009 film Brand New Day, which was choreographed by Stephen Page. Then we'll come back to the east side for Stephen's directorial debut, his feature-length dance film Spear from 2015, about a young man's relocation from Arnhem Land to Sydney. So Stephen Page is a Man-a-Jali man from southeast Queensland. Starting out as a dancer in the Sydney Dance Company, Stephen was appointed artistic director of the Bangara Dance Theatre in 1991 and over the course of his career has choreographed Choreographed, that's the word, (laughs) the theme of tonight. Uh, You've choreographed over 25 works. So Stephen also directed the Indigenous sections of the opening and closing ceremonies of the 2000 uh, Sydney Olympics and recently co-directed a documentary called Freeman about former Olympic sprinter Cathy Freeman, which is currently available on ABC. And Stephen's foray into film began in 1993 when he worked as a choreographer on Tracy Moffat's Bedevil, which we actually reviewed last week. Um, uh, He also choreographed uh, Rachel Perkins' Brand New Day and Wayne Blair's 2012 film Sapphires. In 2013, he directed a segment in The Turning, which is based on the work of Tim Winton, and two years later, his debut feature-length film, Spear, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. So Spear is actually the subject of uh, a book chapter I wrote for a companion to Australian cinema, and so it is an absolute honour to be spotlighting Mm. your work tonight, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Flick. Hi, Sally. Hi. (laughs) Paul. <laughs> Sorry, I completely cocked up the wet main <laughs> theme of the nice <laughs> terrible. And then when you do it once, it's impossible. Oh, right, I've been on those. Oh, look, yeah. don't worry about it. Like the word choreography, I think I was became one, and then I couldn't say it for like three years. And I, would, <laughs> I used to just I used to just say corroboree. That was fun. Yeah. 
that I makes just, me feel I just better. shake a leg and do a corroboree, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing. So you're a dancer, a choreographer, an artistic director, but how, what actually prompted you to get into film? Like what was it that drew you over to the dark side? <laughs> <laughs> um, I worked closely, oh, so I became director in 91. God, I feel so old. Um, <laughs> and around that time, um, I suppose Bangara by 93, the, the movement in Sydney was really quite interesting in terms of different art forms and mediums. So there was a, a visual art crossover company like Bangara called Bamali, and that's where Tracy Moffat came from and mm. Michael Riley and, uh, oh, God, um, Fiona Foley, Bronwyn Bancroft, Hetty Perkins, like these amazing black leaders in contemporary black visual art. Um, and a lot of them were crossing into multimedia and film. Um, so I think they knew Bangara was around and we just started and we were crossing over uh, traditional inspired Aboriginal and Torres Strait movement and stories with this contemporary dance knowledge. We had no idea what we were doing. We were just crossing over, you know, it was all about the creativity and channeling and the energy. And I think because we were all, you know, they were up the road in Redfern, we were down the road in Redfern. I think we had a studio to police boys youth club and then we'd, we'd do sort of sessions in Redfern Park and then our offices were up the road. Anyway, we were all sort of all over the place. And I think when they were just experimenting creation, video became quite a thing which sort of moved into sort of short filmmaking. Um, so they just always came to me and just said, hey, you know, do you want to cross over and we'd use your dances? And then I loved controlling the dances. And so sometimes <laughs> I would control their directing and then they would be like, ah, oh, you've got a great eye for visual and you've got a great eye for film. And, and look, I think for me it was always, um, you know, dance was the main medium I worked in and choreography was another medium. But, you know, I was really close to um, visual art as, a, as an aesthetic and, and, and working. Um, and then I just was just around at the right time and these filmmakers like Tracy who wanted me to work on B-Devil and Michael Riley did a, an ABC film called Poi, uh, oh, what was that called? No, that was called Poison, yeah. Actually, I think I've got the name of that wrong. Anyway, they were, Michael Riley was an amazing filmmaker. He's not with us anymore, unfortunately, but he was a great contemporary artist. And, um, and then I did a work, they were doing dance on the film around that time and that was probably one of my first little works. So, yeah, I just think I was lucky to not just work in music, but just visual art and dance. So it sort of led into film. Um, but 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 obviously leading into um, Rachel's brand new day. Um, and I'd known Rachel for years and she'd been working at film school in the 90s. And so I'd been aware of all these other sort of black peers working in the arts. And then when they all started to work in the mainstream and become leaders in their own right, we just, we just always caught up with each other and to see what we were doing um and so Rachel rang about brand new day and then obviously Wayne with sapphires rang and um yeah just that's pretty much it through the relationships yeah yeah it's interesting because all of those <coughs> directors they're kind of um you know I suppose um you know during I was trying to work out the maths on this but I mean during the 70s during uh Whitlam's um government yeah. there was a huge amount of emphasis put on self-representation of Indigenous storytellers and so all this money was put into I know mm. at least from a film perspective a huge amount of money was put into the film industry and to support kind of this artistry did you see similar like growing up at that time did you yeah. see that also being brought into the performing arts and dance yeah look I was fortunate because I well I was born two years before the referendum so 65 now I'm giving my age away um and so I auditioned 
Oh, I got kicked out of school for a week because I challenged the history teacher in grade 11. So I was one of, I'm one of 12 children and I was one of the first to have the opportunity to at least get through 11 and 12. Most of my sisters and brothers out of the 12 left at 13 and 14 and were working in factories and biscuit factories and shoe factories. And so I'm number 10 down the scale. Opportunities were, were bought off and, um, and anyway, I came home and I said, oh, I got suspended for a week. My mum was really disappointed because I was going through grade 11. And uh, she's like, oh, if you don't, you know, if you don't find a job in the week, you're going back um, to school. And I was determined to find a job. And then my <laughs> my cousin, as you do, your cousins, your cousins are working somewhere in the mainstream. And my cousin was working at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service. And uh, he said, oh, we've got a position like a trainee law clerk. And I said, what does that do? And he said, just come down. And so I said to my mum, I've got a job. And they literally employed me on this sort of training um, scholarship. And then I saw the careers in dance for the Black Dance College in Sydney, which was started in 76. So I'm, what are we looking at? We're looking around roughly five years later. I see this careers in dance and I thought, that's unbelievable. Blackfellas all come to one spot and they can have a careers in dance. So my friend worked for education where you can get funding and she said, oh, look, I'll put an application. And literally four weeks later, I was on a plane, TAA, no Qantas in them days, <laughs> TAA. I left at 16 and, and I've not been back. Like I've oh, been in Sydney wow. since. So I did college for three years. So what I'm trying to get out is in the early 80s, I was around a lot of black movement, you know, mm. living in Sydney, going to Redfern, the Paul Keating speech in 93. I was aware of the 10 embassy. We were really informed with social mm. social black politics and knowledge. And I think a lot of that information uh, through the late 80s into the early 90s, it was really quite potent, um, taking that message into other contemporary mediums. And so I I always believed my fate that I was sort of lucky to be around a time where that movement was sort of, you know, it was just brewing and boiling. Um, mm. And so, I, yeah, I, I just don't think if I had that on the ground grassroots training of being around that and all those black peers, um, and I suppose it, it shaped um yeah, it shaped my creative vision, really. Yeah. Mm. It's so fascinating because so many of the directors that you've um, done all this chore choreography work for. <laughs> You're going to uh, hate that yeah, word. I'm, I'm really, it's going to be. <laughs> just say corroborate. <laughs> I know. Corroborate just no. rolls off the tongue. Oh, corroboreography. No, that's even harder. <laughs> corroboreography is a bit harder. We've started you a know. new word. Paul, we've done a new word today. Corroborate. <laughs> corroboreography. Corroboreography, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's always the it's the ography. I think it's the second part of the word, the ography and everything, you know. Look, you you organize some dances in some films. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um you've worked with so many of the figures of of what's now termed the black wave of cinema, which is mm. like really this time in the early 2000s where um, there was really, it's kind of like just this defining and continues today, but this legacy of Indigenous artists telling their stories in um, these really specific ways. And I, I think it's amazing that you've worked with these directors and been part of it from completely different background and kind of brought, brought that in. I wonder whether when you're working on these films, like, are you kind of aware of 
the significance of that kind of building um, representation of stories? Is it something that is it is it after the fact that you kind of look back and go, wow, that was really significant that, you know, in the 2000s particularly, but I think it was around the 2009 mark when Brand New Day came out, where it was really at the peak of so many Australian cinemas were actually screening Indigenous films um, yeah. and in the mainstream as well. Was it yeah. something, yeah, was it, do you remember being aware of it at the time? I think the great thing about, Black storytelling is that it it's sometimes not just stereotyped into one medium, like it's usually shared across many mediums, the same story. You know, I mean, you think of Indigenous or Black kinship systems of storytelling, you know, you, you're you not just got one form, you know, you, you, whether you have the didgeridoo player and the song man or uh, what they call the, 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 the storyteller who's the sort of dreamer that create, like there's, it's interesting versus the Western system of arts or of creation um, that it all feels like it's all part of one. So for me, um, yeah, look, I, I think all, all those mobs working and then at the time, I think it's just because we had such depths of stories to hang on to, you know, like it's not just art for art's sake. And usually the stories will come from a much more deeper uh, context and background. And the other thing is I actually played Willie in Brand New Day at its first workshop. Really? In, in 1989. <laughs> at, at, it was called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Playwrights Conference. And it was where all Aboriginal writers would come in with an idea, whether it was playwright or screenwriter. Mm. And Jimmy Chai came to the workshop and we all had to audition. Um, and I was a terrible singer. I think I, <laughs> Bob Mazza, who, Rachel Mazza, who runs a bidgery in Melbourne, uh, you know, Rachel, she's a fine actress and she's a, a wonderful director of a bidgery theatre company, which is a, a, a pretty much a parallel to Bangara, but it celebrates uh, drama, theatre and storytelling through drama. And Rachel's a prolific, you know, I mean, she's a wonderful actress and, and director and uh, her father, I remember him getting on the piano and then we had to line up and most of us were just raw and organic and coming in for, we didn't even know what an audition was, like some of us were aware. And uh, they said, well, make sure you've got all your songs and you're ready and you go in. And Bob would play, Uncle Bob would play by ear. And, and I think I sang um, a Credence Clearwater song or something <laughs> and I think I was just mimicking like my dad singing drunk or something. Like I think I was just like, you know, when I wake up in the morning and anyway, they all looked at me and they were like, and so I was pretending and I, that's my skill from just my parties at home and learning in the kitchen and playing dress ups and performing in the backyard where you just performing was just part of gatherings and stories, you know? So mm. um, I didn't get the role of Willie straight up. And then, <laughs> but what I did get, um, they knew I had a dance background. They basically made me chore- made me choreograph all the all the sort of dance sections that were in that original script. So I was familiar with the story. Yeah. Um, and then when Jimmy Chai got offered to bring it to screen, it, the first thing he said to Rachel Perkins was, "You've got to get that Stephen Page fella from Bangara to choreograph." <laughs> and uh, so I think Rachel was a bit forced to use me. Really. <laughs> She rang me up. She said, I had orders from the elder, Jimmy, that I had to use you. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, but, but it was great to revisit that story because at the time it was a play and it was very mm. successful in the early 90s and it was like it was a milestone in, in storytelling on stage. Mm. And then for, you know, for a decade later for it to or so to come or more to, to come back. And, and I think it was just Jimmy's dream. There was, I think it, yeah, went through decades of trying to get it from stage to celluloid you know mm-hmm. and um so it was just no nice to know that well it was great to know that 
I felt safe and I felt like I could be around this sort of legacy that had been. But at the same time, there was a big challenge in that to, to mm. maintain the integrity. So, mm. And then I, Rachel just wanted me to co. She just wanted me to learn with her and she she let me direct that, you know, a couple of scenes in the film. And, I mean, I've thought, well, that's pretty cool. Like I think Listen to the News was where we had all the guys and it was like shot at 3 o'clock in the morning and she's like, you take over, you direct this, I know you've Corey. And it was just this wonderful sense of just trusting each other and sharing, like the egos are left out in the backyard and you're just sort of, you're just there supporting the story really because you know you know where it comes from, you know. And it's the same with Tracy when she did B-Devil, like she she, had, she was working in the visual art form, crossing it into celluloid and film and she wanted to work out how movement can work with cinematography and and I was just always curious, but they would allow me to be in those early processes, you know, and so it wasn't just come in and choreograph. They would sit with me in pre-production and they would talk it through. So I was just very lucky to have, um, yeah, and they were all female. Maybe that's because I have six older sisters. I'm always around, <laughs> I'm always great, around great female directors and storytellers. So, um, yeah, so I've just, I've just had that opportunity just to mm. be, I don't know what it is. I've just been really fortunate to be around that sort of clan of energy that tells stories. Yeah. Did that prompt you? I mean, Spear is based on uh, an earlier Bangara production called Skin, I think. Yeah. Um, And so did that prompt you to kind of go into directing your own film? Did that give you the confidence or understanding to be like, okay, it's time now? It wasn't until I did, uh, well, I worked on Sapphire. Sapphire was a tricky one because... I was busy with Bangara and then I pulled out, like I said, I couldn't do it. And, I, and they were like, oh, right. Wayne wants you to do it. The producers wanted me to do it. And because we were touring, I just thought, oh, I'm going to make this work. And so in pre-production, they just finalised Deb Mailman and Jessica Melbourne on the Friday as a confidential cast. You know, So they had their cast, they had their girls. I, I was aware of Miranda because I knew her at NIDA in Sydney. And I was aware of Shari. I just was just aware of them. I mean, everybody thinks every blackfellow knows every blackfellow. Well, that's not that's not the case. Um, and then Wayne rings me on the Saturday and he said, okay, I'm going to give you two weeks on your own with the girls. And you, because I said to Wayne, I'll treat it like a rehearsal theatre. If I can have the girls for two weeks, I'll just do all the choreographic sections, um, knowing what you're wanting to do in story versus the script. Uh they all went, we don't know what he's talking about, but let him just do it. So they left me alone. Like those four girls walked into Bangara rehearsal room, Deb, and Jess was just a fresh pop star. Deb was obviously had a bit of a, a veteran in TV and so forth, and two girls from NIDA. And, you know, so they came in because they only just committed as a cast on the Friday. And so Monday I sort of had some yoga mats, I laid it out, did a bit of stretching. They're like, oh, my God, what's he trying to do to us? And then... <laughs> We talked through script and story and we just, I said to them, look, this is commercial music, it's fun, it's what you would have sung at that time and we looked at what score they could get for the film based on budget and so forth and whatever that style was and then versus whatever the progressive chronologically of what the story was, we just try to work out a character physicality for them and it was one of the best times I've ever had because they all got to know each other. And then I remember the producers and Wayne and Warwick Thornton came with his camera. Two weeks later, they left us alone. Like Wayne didn't even come in. And then they came in and we just did scene by scene. Warwick's walking around the camera. Everyone's like, oh, you've done, you've done the best thing because you've you know, almost done, you've laid down the sort of spine for us to go on now and film. So 
Um, and that was only because I couldn't go on the locations when they were filming to actually put it. So I ended up getting an assistant. I felt like a big Hollywood choreographer, you know. I could <laughs> I could have this assistant that would look after the dance pieces. And because I was on the road with Bangara, uh, she was able to go um, whenever they were filming. So, um, yeah, so I – and then I think it was from that I – I got asked from Robert Connolly from Arena Media to do Tim Winton's Tur- The Turning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to work with John Harvey, who was an, in, uh, uh, an Indigenous uh, producer with they call Brown Cab Productions, which is great, Brown Cab. And um, I think they call that Brown Cab because they realised none of them could get cabs when they would be hanging around Melbourne because of their skin colour. Like this oh, whole God. crazy thing they call their company Brown Cab. Because I said, John, what do you call a Brown Cab? And he said, oh, we have a running joke about not being picked up by taxi drivers because of the colour of our skin. And I just thought, wow, they've taken that into humour and they've called yeah. their company after that. It's a bit like Spike Spike, um, Spike Lee with, um, what's his? 40 Acres and a Mule. 40 Acres and a Mule, yeah. Like mm. it's, so it was sort of, sort of a similar sort of thing. Anyway, John um, John was working as a arena as a, an apprentice, or not even an apprentice, that's just so patronising about blackfellas always on training wheels. Um, he was a very capable producer working at Arena Media. And um, Robert Conley just said, oh, John, um, who would you like to work with? And and uh, and he said, oh, I'm really interested in what Stephen Page would do from his perspective. And so when I came and I looked at the winter and I said, well, I'm not going to use any dialogue. I'm just going to do 10 minutes of just visual. And then... Um, I wanted to find a good cinematographer and um, uh, introduce me to Bonnie Elliott, the beautiful Bonnie mm-hmm. Elliott, who um, anyway, we're, we're, we just clicked and she loved the visual form that I was working with. And she, I said, oh, I don't want any dialogue. And she was like, this is a dream because it's for a cinematographer. It's like, <laughs> okay, you know, the screenwriter can piss off. There's no dialogue. <laughs> And then the poor screenwriter, Justin Lonjo, every time we wrote, he kept trying to put words in and I kept taking it out. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, brother, you just got to, you know, create the poetry and philosophy around the atmosphere and that's all you're doing and you got to describe the emotion, the psychology of movement. And he was like, oh, my God, you're such a theatre person. You're so, <laughs> you're so intense. And I'm like, well, let's just take these skills and see how it marinates in that world. So we just did a 10-minute short film, no dialogue, and just Bonnie – just loved it. So it was just one of those things of just everyone just clicking. And so from the turning, I had people from Screen Australia and other people saying, oh, you should do a feature. And I was just like, oh, look, I've got no time. Running Bangara is crazy. Like this is no time. But they got an opportunity through the Adelaide Film Festival where theatre companies would work with producers from producing film companies. And so there was an initiative called Hive and it was a special funding of about 800000 and selected if you if you found a theatre performing arts company and you're a producer in film and you came together you had an idea you all pitched it anyway uh, I pitched Spear and I said I'd like to take that into a, a feature release and we kept that relationship going with the reader media and John and so forth and then I grabbed Bonnie and then I grabbed my scenic artist from Bangara and then I wanted to work with our costume designer from theatre and so. Same thing again. You just create a Clint Eastwood shorthand and bring all your people. I'm not Clint Eastwood. <laughs> but you just bring the people that I'd been working with for 20 yeah. years. And I just realised, and we did Spear differently because we actually rehearsed three weeks of it and we shot it all in two weeks. So, wow. So it was all based on we had cameras in the rehearsal room. So I thought if we rehearse it like a dance piece mm-hmm. and we know where we are, 
and people can't not like you know i have people from screen other producers go there's no way you shot i said yeah we shot that in like almost yeah just a bit under two and a half weeks and um but i think it was because we were really disciplined in how we want to shoot it in in the sort of rehearsal rooms yeah um but we were really diligent and we were really efficient and we we had no money um like everything and um but it was just exciting. I, I don't know if I would have had the same relaxed attitude about the tightness of budget and the way we worked if it wasn't my <laughs> my first directing sort of job. Yeah. God, what I can this, talk. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, I'm loving it. What, what, just um, one thing I wanted to ask was what, what's kind of the difficulty when you're adapting these dancers to the screen? There must mm. be some difficulty because, I mean, like when you're performing oh. – dance yeah. you've got an idea of where the audience is but with film it's just so open it's completely almost blank yeah. space look we, we had a we had a obviously a choreographic dance language already that was existed and spear the choreography of spear had already existed from 2000 mm. it was just taking that and reimagining the movement or extending it or basing it on obviously my brother's beautiful music was already there so we had yeah. It's a bit like a, a MasterChef kitchen. We had all the right sort of cultural ingredients. It was just about the method of bringing them together. Um, but then the other, and the other thing that I wanted to care for on top of that was just to make sure that Bonnie could choreograph as well through camera. Um, and so she, I said, "I'm a three-year-old child. Can you teach me everything about cinematography?" And she was just loved it, you know. So we got married for like. Mm-hmm. three months we, I said okay we're going to get married and she would pick me up every morning before we'd go on set and we would just talk in the car and then we'd prioritize what we couldn't shoot or what we could shoot and it was just I just was just hungry to learn and so she was yeah and then I'd say look and then we'd be in the rehearsal room for those three weeks and we'd look at the choreo and some of the choreography uh yeah if we wanted to not mani- well we could manipulate the choreography and we could yeah, and the dancers would adjust and we could just almost just reimagine it for that sort of celluloid framing. So I, I loved the experience. I mean, it, it was – I think the work had only happened because of, I suppose, the initiative where it came from. Would I have done it without being approached or the initiative? Um, I don't know. Like we've always talked about doing a cinematic experience of Bangara shows because – or the theatrical experience you get in that three-dimensional theatre. You know, you we always have story, culture, contemporary, lighting, costume, set, and it's this, this sort of theatrical Indigenous experience you get. And people have always said to me, oh, my God, your theatrical visuals are so strong. Have you ever thought of crossing that over into film? So I don't know, maybe all the sort of planets were aligning up and Bonnie came along and, we were able to experience that. But then when it got chosen for Toronto, we were sort of blown away. And then Bonnie won, you know, a great big cinematography award and it put her on the map as a strong female cinematographer. And, and now she's like in Hollywood and doesn't talk to me anymore. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> um, no she always, she well, she worked with me on Freeman just recently. They asked me, Kathy wanted me to co-direct on Freeman. And um, yeah, she rang me, I rang Bonnie and said, oh, do you want to, I want to add this sort of little stylistic element to Freeman. And she was like, sounds cool. Let's just do it. And I said, okay. So, um, yeah, so I've just been lucky to have some little sort of alternative sort of experiences. Yeah. Oh, Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I um, I can't believe much... I never let you all talk. And I just told this is just terrible. <laughs> oh, we're no. here oh, to yeah. listen to you. No, I'm going to be so embarrassed. To to I'm going to be so embarrassed now. <laughs> no, that's your spotlight. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I'm glad I mentioned all those muses and all those wonderful, you know, even all the artists and stuff. We're very fortunate, yeah. 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 No, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, So if you've just tuned in, we've been speaking with director, choreographer and artistic director of Bangara Dance Theatre, Stephen Page, who is the subject of tonight's Spotlight Special on Choreography in Film. Uh, Freeman, co-directed and choreographed by Stephen Page, is currently streaming on ABC and you can keep an eye out next year for the February release of Firestarter, the story of Bangara, directed by Wayne Blair and Nell Minchin, which is actually doing the festival circuit currently and just got awarded Best Documentary at the Adelaide Film Festival. So well done. Uh, You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You're listening to Primal Screen with Sally Christie, Paul Anthony Nelson and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show, we're spotlighting the work of choreographer and director Stephen Page. And just before those sponsorship announcements, you heard Dan Sultan with Brand New Day, which is actually the theme song of the first film we're reviewing tonight. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not starve. I have been itemising supplies from the canteen. I should have known one of your aborigine kind would be worth nothing. That's not true, father. What? Hey, boy, where you been come from? No, I've been running from boarding school. I want to go home. Where you home, boy? Broom. I'm going to take this boy home to Broom. Yeah. Wake up. We're going to Broom. Remember? Yeah. Directed by Rachel Perkins and choreographed by Stephen Page, Brand New Day is an adaptation of Jimmy Chai's 1990 stage musical of the same name. It tells the story of Willie, played by Rocky McKenzie, who escapes a strict strict Catholic boarding school in Perth run by Father Benedictus, a villainous Geoffrey Rush. Uh, Willie wants to journey back to Broome to be reunited with his crush, Rosie, Australian Idol's own Jessica Malboy, before she falls for local heartthrob, heartthrob Lester, played by Melbourne-born Dan Sultan. Perkins' film also features Ernie Dingo, Deborah Mailman, Magda Sabansky and Missy Higgins. Sal, I know you're usually a fan of musicals. Um, had you actually seen Brand New Day before? No, you I had this, this is my first time that I'd watched it and I thought that it was, yeah, com- totally delightful. I always sort of feel like I can tip my hat to something when I come away feeling uplifted from it, but it has also managed to communicate some really serious issues, which Brand New Day does. Um, yeah, I, I like that kind of medium where where it's able to do that because perhaps an audience that maybe wouldn't go and see something like Samson and Delilah would watch Brand New Day and, you know, there's we've got a, a lot of, you know, similarities there. I also, over the weekend, I'd watched uh, a film called Cabin in the Sky, which I think was Vincent Minnelli's first film that he made in um, 1943, which is an all-black cast and it's also a musical. Um, And that's how I came away from that feeling. I was like, you know, really incredible that, you know, this these really, you know, pressing issues are communicated through song and dance and I found that really effective and I also found that really effective with Brand New Day. But, um. Yeah, so I really, really enjoyed it. My only kind of thing that I wanted to see more of with this was um, I didn't, I felt like 
we didn't have enough Jessica Melboy in it. Oh, yeah. I really liked her character and I thought that she had a really great on-screen presence and, you know, we kind of get um, introduced to her and Dan Sultan's character, is it Lester? Yeah, At the start of the film and, you know, he's positioned to kind of be a villain. But I don't feel like we get to see him enough to kind of for that to be communicated properly. Um, So that was one thing that I I would have liked to have seen more of that kind of, I guess, subplot of what was going back on in um, Broom with Rosie and Lester. But, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it was gorgeous, bright, beautiful film to look at. Lots of I love seeing the... um, the Dingo Flower Factory in Frio and, yeah, all those kind of landmarks. Yeah, it was a gorgeous film. I'm from Perth, so I get so excited when there's, like, any Perth landmark. I'm like, oh, my God. My husband's (laughs) from Frio, so the same thing. I was like, the Dingo Flower (laughs) Fair. It's, yeah, very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but also, I agree with Jessica. I should have been it for a bit more. She was really, yeah, I I was really natural. I was sad that she she wasn't on there more. Yeah, yeah, she's so natural on screen. I, I kind of find it amazing that she hasn't, she's actually coming from a completely different background. And yet I know, because I think, it's a, well, I think I was probably introduced to, to her from the Sapphires because I hadn't really seen America, Australian Idol, sorry. Um, yeah, and she's got such a good presence. Yeah, mm. she does. She's very, very natural and she's so charismatic. Absolutely. What did mm. you think, Paul? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I saw this a few years ago and... Um, at uh, Acme at the time, and and so yeah, revisiting it after a while, it's interesting. It's it's really it, the, the the thing. I think delightful is the word with this mm. film. It's very delightful. It's very ebullient. It's very um, it's very upbeat and cheery. Um, it's interesting because it has this eclectic cast of actors and non actors. And I do. I I don't know if it's a small screen or whatever, but the gulf between the two is quite noticeable. I found, um, and it's funny about there, Mobile. There was, because, there was one I, I found that was like, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 t- take it down a notch or seven misigans. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's that <laughs> exactly um, Yeah, it was yeah, in my like, notes, but I was like, oh, I'll leave it out. But yeah, <laughs> she was playing not so much for the back of a theater, but the back of a theater three streets away. Yeah. yeah. Um, adorable, but yeah, just a lot of theater kid energy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Moboy because I think Moboy's a lot better in the in the Sapphires. I feel like her her acting style improved in the three years in between. Like here, I think yeah, yeah I think you're absolutely right. She's a natural charismatic presence mm. with an incredible voice. Yes, and every time she's behind the microphone, you just want to listen to it all day. Um, and her performances, yeah, shall we say, more natural kind of. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Sapphires, I think she becomes more of an on screen performer. And, yep. and she kills mm. it in that movie. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting that this cast, like I'm not sure if Rocky McKenzie is as strong as other members of the cast. Oh, really? So yeah. yeah, I loved him. Yeah, I, thought he, I, I liked him, but yeah. It was one of my, my favourite things about the film is I found him so endearing. Like I just, yeah, I, he just melted my heart in this. Yeah, yeah. mine too. I actually was like, I want to see more of him. I was trying to do mm. a little Google before because I was like, what, has he been in anything else? Because I think he's got I'm such sure a great. Face, yeah, I don't think he has. Mm. I couldn't find anything, and he's got such a great face. Like I just think mm. there was so much emotion. You, 
you know, like their love story at the start, it's got very little time. Like you were saying, Sal, there's kind of maybe not enough of um, yeah. you know, um, Rosie being on screen and her character getting developed enough. But um, they managed to fit it in because of I think there's a believable chemistry between the two. I, I yeah, was really is. kind of quite touched because it's basically like a teen love story, isn't it? Mm. Like I think um, I actually wasn't expecting to like this um, as much as I did. I hadn't seen it before. And, um, yeah, I was I kind of was, I was a bit sunburned and I was tired and I was watching it and I was just like, Oh, I don't know if I feel like watching this. I, I genuinely do love musicals and I have watched, um, you know, I've kind of shared that love um, with you, Sal. But um, I was just so uh, joyous after watching this. It was it kind of definitely passed that test of I felt really elated and I loved the humour in it. It's kind of like it almost forces you to sort of dance along. And um, I actually, one thing I would say is I wish that had more dancing in it. Um, I was really looking yeah. forward to yeah, kind of agree. looking at some of the stuff and knowing like um, Stephen Page's work in Bangara and Spear, yeah. I kind of was hoping for more of that. It is really yeah, more too, of a like- music music film rather than mm-hmm. a dance more songs yeah yeah absolutely but I did really love seeing um a bit of WA I'm missing home at the moment so I was just like oh look at those beaches look at that <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of charm to it I, I mm. thought in a lot of yeah ways. I just every time for me it was every time I think Ernie Dingo and Deborah Mailman were my yeah. favorites in the cast like again yeah. you just know you're in safe hands particularly with mailman like it's just like yeah oh yeah nah, every time she's on screen she's electric i re- yeah i really the songs i think were one of my favorite parts of this film i think the songs are all really great mm-hmm. i think there's and and musicals are hard you know like mm, yeah, I, I think and i think they're harder than a lot of people think they are and and i think this film at times has the, the transitions into the songs are sometimes a little bit awkward um, very quick, but very like, oh, oh, okay, we're in a song now. Okay, uh, it's like the Isn't that uh, always the way though with musicals. It's like- I, I think there's other, I don't know, there's other musicals where it's a little bit more organic. Like, so like I'm speaking to you, and then it's like, oh, and now we're gonna sing. I'd rather be in a Brit-. like, yeah, and it's like I love that song and the song lyric. Um, there's no one I'd rather be than to be an Aborigine. Like the 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 lyrics are terrific. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the song is really great, but it's like getting there is like, oh, it's very abrupt. Um, yeah, it's it's really true. But the thing I did I did appreciate with this, it's it's very bright and broad, but not annoyingly so. It never pokes mm. your eyes out with it. Mm-hmm. But and and I think even though many of the characters seem like cartoons, <clears throat> Jeffrey Rush, um, <laughs> and and the and the German boy, um, there's there's a couple of genuinely affecting genuine moments here that illustrate yeah. the pain of living black in Australia, the prison sequence in particular, mm. the whole way that's handled, like from when they yeah. arrive and Ernie Dingo slowly stepping to the desk and just starts taking off his clothes, mm. like without having to be prompted, just broke my heart. It's just yeah. like that. There's just little moments like that that are so yeah. effective. I think it's, I think that's actually what makes it, that's kind of the most um, powerful thing about this is that you can be in this really joyous space because mm. of this dancing and the comedy and then it just anchors you down to this is just the reality of of, of, of black lives at the moment mm-hmm. in, in the, you know, Indigenous people are one of the most incarcerated people in the world, which is um, ex- astonishing. Um, so, yeah, I think that this film, it's kind of amazing that moments like that exist in a film that otherwise is so mm. slap, slapstick. Yeah. Food. 
ridiculous in it's a ridiculous melodrama at the end. So yeah, it's really, really Yeah, I don't know about that ending. That ending. <laughs> both, both viewings are like, oh, I don't know about that ending. But, but you know, fun. everyone goes out the door happy, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I think it I think it leans into that like ridiculous melodrama. I think mm-hmm. that's what it's doing. It seems knowing in some way. Um, so Brand New Day, it's directed by Rachel Perkins and choreographed by Stephen Page and is currently streaming on Canopy, uh, Amazon Prime and Stan. And you can also rent it on Ausflix or you can buy it on Apple TV, Google Play or YouTube. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Paul Anthony Nelson and myself, Flick Ford. The track you just heard in that bracket was from a 2009 production by the Bangara Dance Theatre at the Illawarra Performing Arts Centre titled Fire A Retrospective which was to celebrate Bangara Dance Theatre's 20th anniversary. The music was composed by Steve Francis and the former music director of Bangara, the late David Page, who is the brother of Stephen Page, who is the subject of tonight's Spotlight. Earlier tonight, we discussed Stephen's choreography in Rachel Perkins' uh, musical comedy Brand New Day from 2009, In 2012, Stephen choreographed Wayne Blair's The Sapphires, about four Indigenous women who form a music group and travel to Vietnam in 1968 to perform for the troops. A year later, Stephen directed a chapter in the film The Turning, which is based on stories by Tim Winton. And two years after that, Stephen directed his first feature-length film, which is our final film of the night. An elaboration on a Bangara production from 2000 titled Skin, Spear tells the story of a young man called Jali, played by Stephen Page's son and star of the TV series Clever Man, Hunter Page Lashard, who leaves his community in Arnhem Land for Sydney. Jali's relocation is one of initiation as he witnesses the racialized abuse, violence and imprisonment of his people and struggles to connect with the traditions of his community with the harsh realities of city life. It's a curious film composed of a series of dance sequences that bring narratives of alcoholism, homelessness, incarceration and street violence into motion. Paul, this is such a different film to what we usually review on the show. It's exceptionally unconventional. It features almost no dialogue and rejects a clear and linear narrative. Um, The characters obviously interact and respond uh, through each other to dance sequences, the kind of, you know, born out of memory and rumination what did you what did you make of it 
Glad you started with me on this flick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to the end, and it was one of those things. It's like, I don't know if I have the critical ability to discuss this. I thought, I, feel, I thought the same thing, Paul. Yeah. I feel like it's out of my pay grade. Like, it's – I, 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 I can't volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is out of our pay grade. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's this sort of thing – I can say this. I mean, it is – I mean, look, it does have – there is a very – uh, very present kind of overarching arc of he's he's a young man who sort of is you know he's an adolescent becoming a man and there is this sort of juncture where he he's kind of presented with the various ways he can go in life and and I think there's a lot of film a lot of stuff about this film that's open to interpretation and one of those interpretations that I certainly took from it was that the Aaron Pedersen character was one way he could have gone and the other mm. way was following the woman and the other way was and you know he he sort of winds up kind of finding you know his uh, a, a community, but it's so strikingly shot, cut, and designed. Like it's incredible. Bonnie Elliott's cinematography is fantastic. Mm, yeah. It's got this really great sound design, um, and and yeah, uh, befitting who Stephen Page is, uh, a choreographer at, 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 at you know uh, principally. His it's no surprise that his his feature debut is essentially a contemporary ballet. Given the cinematic treatment, it's broken mm. into vignettes, um, high on metaphor and references, and 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 context and history, and 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 uh, low on low on kind of low on what we conventionally know as you know in in, in a conventional cinematic sense story because there's definitely heaps of story here, yeah. but it's baked into it in a way that we we're not used to digesting. I mean, and, and it's the same as watching any dance performance, really, you know, um, my partner is a, it was trained in contemporary dance and she, you know, we often go to contemporary dance things and she has so much more of a read on what's happening than I do. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, but sometimes there are certain movements and certain moments that just hit you in the gut in a primal way. And that's, and that's, and, and I think with, with as with any contemporary ballet or was it any film with a portmanteau structure, I think some succeed better than others. And there's certain moments here that really hit. Like, I think there's an alleyway confrontation in front of a car. There's a moment with Aaron Pedersen uh, stumbling amongst a throng of white men and mm. kind of, um, um, you know, shouting um, uh, rage and his view on the world at them um, as they don't listen to him at all. And the final 15 to 20 minutes where it's kind of um, uh, uh, it's it's a sort of a you know a group sort of a corroboree if you will um, with a with a woman sort of representing a bird like uh, being those three moments are the standouts mm. to me yeah and and although I think while it might not have completely translated for me in terms of what it was all about. I think this is a distinctive and in the context of Australian film lineage, hugely important work. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really like looking, I guess, at these two films that it's this really important reminder that there are so many different ways a story can be told. Um, and you can you throw know. Bedevil in there as well, can't you? Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Absolutely. Like yeah. there are just so many different ways that we can, you know, communicate a story to an audience. Um, I hadn't seen Spear before either. This was the first time I'd seen it and I really loved it. I thought it was so, so beautiful. I was so, I found it so moving to see this story uh, about ma- masculinity told through dance and through body mm-hmm. movement, um, which 
is something that we often traditionally see as something that is very feminine um, and this really, you know, sort of masculine bodies and all this movement I just thought was so beautiful. Mm. Um, I loved the way that it also switched between moods. I found that really seamless and it was quite stark at a lot of that. I, I will often watch a film and if the mood changes quickly, I kind of, it takes me out of it. Mm. Whereas this didn't, I felt it kind of flowing. Um, and also I loved the costume design in it, that kind of real contemporary that, you know, the men in blue denim jeans. Mm. Um, there was, yeah, like I, I came away from it like you, Paul, going, wow, I don't know if I have the chops <laughs> to actually discuss this, mm. but I really loved it. Um, yeah. Flick, I didn't know that you had actually written a chapter yeah, on it. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I saw it, I remember a friend of mine, Eleanor, was like, oh, I think she's a dance scholar and she was like, yeah. oh, I think you should see this. This film that was in back in 2016 and she was like you should check out this film I think you'd like it and I saw it and was like this is immediately going in my thesis and I'm going to write about this I'm going to yeah. do conference papers on it no I, I loved it I think um yeah it is one of these films that has just stayed with me um I I think for me it actually I don't know enough about dance so I I kind of definitely can sympathize with you both of that like, mm. how do you begin to to break this down and talk about it in a meaningful way but I um yeah, something that I was going to say before, Paul, and you were talking a bit about uh, Suicide Man, who's played by Aaron Pedersen, who's like one of the best actors. I love him so much. Mm-hmm. But um, that repetition is actually um, based on a poem by uh, Kevin Gilbert, who uh, wrote it um, whilst in prison. And it's he's got this long lineage. Um, so I love that there's these little bits of Aboriginal history and um, particularly history entwined with incarceration and that are kind of woven yep. through and yeah that softness and feminism or a feminist uh mm. sorry, femininity of some of those dancers is so fascinating yeah it's really I like thought an that unpicking too. of of masculinity um mm-hmm. yeah I do find this a really challenging film to talk about and I should be more comfortable talking about it having <laughs> done so much on it but I think that's what I love about it it's this it's this kind of strange space and then for me it almost like pairs down cinema to really what it is which is movement and, um, you yeah. know, sometimes you get movement and, and gesture in scripts and there's some really beautiful script writing in films and not to downgrade that at all, but I do love the fact that for this film it's just how these bodies move and also how they're captured on screen. So that, yeah. that conversation between the cinematographer and these dancers. And I um, think that as well, yeah. Flick. Like one thing I, I found really striking about um, Spear was Often when things move from, I guess, stage to screen, they're not communicated that well. They can kind of seem flat and two-dimensional, but this didn't at all. Like it was just Mm. it seemed fully fleshed out and, yeah, really kind of immersive in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You go. Sorry, I was saying, as you say, it's. Actually, no, you go, Flick. I'll come in later. Well, I was, I was just going to point out something that um, I forgot to mention was that um, the film, so we um, Stephen was talking about how it premiered at um, Toronto um first and then came back came to Australia and kind of found the festival circuit here but actually was performed like presented in a lot of really different spaces so not just primarily mm. in um in cinemas and um one of those was um this theater um out out in um where was it it was the Gasworks Backyard Cinema one of the small festivals but it also uh, played for Reconciliation Week and I think that mm-hmm. this kind of um this kind of mobile going out to these rural communities often. And, and I think that that really speaks to this h- beautiful hybrid that it is where, you know, we're, we're struggling to 
um, come up with criticism, you know, a critical reading of it because mm. it's kind of quite a stretch of like cinematic language. But the flip side of that is for communities that don't have that language of, uh, say, like who you know aren't into film theory, you can approach it from understanding the dance and the bodies that are yeah. on screen. So there's almost like a a beautiful accessibility to it. But then it just tells a story that maybe words can't even put into to mm. to play really. And, and that's the thing too, like uh, watching it, I felt like this does feel like a bit of a cinematic record of what Bangara mm. do. Yeah. And and if anything, it could inspire Indigenous dancers yeah. to, who might not be able to get to the city and see it in theatre to watch it and kind of go, I want to do that. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and sort of and, and get them to the next stage. It's interesting because I think some vignettes were very, I think some vignettes, because I think a lot of the film is pure cinema. And I think some, and you know, it's 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 image and sound and movement and editing, mm. and um, and I think some though communicate their their point better than others. Like I think some, it sort of feels like you're at a remove, like you're watching a dance piece. And there's other things where there's there's important moments where they go into the face and they yeah. and they communicate with the camera, and the camera is part of the experience. And it's mm. that whole thing is stepping outside the theater, and and particularly I feel like the last sequence really does that strongly yeah and i think yeah i think it's a film that really closes strong oh um, definitely one yeah. that you can i can strongly recommend to revisit and you'll get even more out of each time so spear is available to stream on beamer film or you can rent or buy it on google play youtube apple tv and fetch this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia triple r is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding if you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Paul Anthony Nelson, Sally Christie and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show, we spotlighted the work of choreographer, film director and the artistic director of the Bangara Dance Theatre, Stephen Page. Just before we revisited Stephen's directorial debut, his feature-length dance film, Spear, from 2015. Spear is available to stream on Beamer Film or you can rent or buy it on Google Play, YouTube, Apple TV and Fetch. And earlier in the show, we reviewed Rachel Perkins' 2009 musical comedy Brand New Day, which was choreographed by Stephen Page. Brand New Day is currently streaming on Canopy, Amazon Prime and Stan, or you can rent it on Ausflix or buy it on Apple TV, Google Play or YouTube. You can also check out the documentary Freeman, which is co-directed and choreographed by Stephen Page on ABC about former Olympic sprinter Kathy Freeman. There's also a documentary on Bangara due out in February next year called Firestarter Story of Bangara, directed by Wayne Blair and Nell Minchin. Um, very big thank you to Stephen Page for speaking with us tonight. If you missed the interview, you can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the Primal Screen page at rrr.org.au right now. Next week, next week we're doing a uh, spotlight special on Bruce Lee, so I hope you can join us for that. A big thank you to Morty. <laughs> little whoop from Paul there. A big thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast and to Carl Chapman for paneling tonight's show and for providing producing assistance. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 